This, 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 this is K-U-T. K-U-T. K-U-T, Austin. Stop. This is KUT Weekend for the fourth weekend of December 2017. Thank you for listening. I'm Nathan Bernier with KUT 90.5, the NPR station in Austin, Texas. Here's what we got for you this week. The cousin of a teenager killed by an Austin police officer tries to keep his memory alive. I want there to be so many conversations about David. Mental health care delivery in Austin is getting a shakeup. Typically, mental health care delivery has been better in the Northeast, and it'd be nice for Texas to kind of change that pattern. And a high school football team whose small town was battered by Hurricane Harvey plays for the state championship. They really shouldn't be here. With all they've gone through with a hurricane and being homeless and stuff, I'm very, very proud of them. Those stories in this edition of KUT Weekend. Last year, a black teenager was killed by an Austin police officer. His name was David Joseph. He was 17 years old. And a few months later, his cousin, a woman named Vanessa Bissereth, decided to do something about it. KUT's Audrey McGlinchey spent nearly two years with Vanessa as she tried to memorialize David's life and find meaning in his death. This story starts with a letter. To the members of this council and all who are present, my name is Vanessa and I am the cousin of David Joseph. Last year, on February 8, 2016, my cousin was shot to death by an Austin Police Department officer only a short distance from his home. David was in a residential neighborhood in North Austin. It was a little before 10.30 in the morning. David had been naked, unarmed, and experiencing what APD policy refers to as excited delirium. David was muttering to himself, undressing in the street on a cold February day. APD officer Jeffrey Freeman responded to calls of a young man acting strangely. Despite this, my cousin was not treated with care, compassion, or even reasonable judgment. Freeman spotted David in the middle of the road. In the dash cam video, David starts to charge the squad car. Freeman yells at him to stop. Stop right there, man. Stop right there. He was fired upon twice, with one bullet entering his leg and another his chest. Fatally struck, David lay on the ground struggling to breathe. He passed away not long before noon and a little less than three weeks from his 18th birthday. Hey, can you pause it? (laughs) I met Vanessa last year, just a couple months after Freeman had been fired for violating policy when he shot David. I asked Vanessa if I could follow her in the aftermath of her cousin's death. Over the 18 months we've known each other, I've watched her spend her free time trying to make sense of David's death. And I should note here, David and Vanessa are not related by blood. They grew up together. Their families immigrated from Haiti together. Vanessa considers him a cousin, his mom, her aunt. June 2016. Vanessa's 26 years old. I saw a lot of David. But I mean, we didn't really have conversations because he was, he's 17. And I was always older, but always smiling, always kind, always saying hi always telling me, like, telling me what's going on in his life. He's open and honest and kind. Vanessa tells me she wants a mural done of David. She even got a big local artist to agree to paint it. He told me if I found a place that he'd be willing to paint on it, but finding a place is, 
insanely difficult because this this incident is riddled in controversy and politics. Vanessa wants something strangers can stumble upon and get to know David, something that David's mom can have. Just an image to what his future could have been, knowing that he loved football, (laughs) he loved people, he loved smiling, he loved the rapper future. If there are so many things, maybe in the mural he could be right next to his favorite rapper. Maybe it's an NFL thing. But as long as she sees something other than the reality of it. Because that's just a single-minded sadness. At first glance, here's what makes Vanessa different. She wears a flannel hunter cap year-round. She longboards around town. She wears a baggy navy t-shirt most of the time. And... I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I don't even have a cell phone. And now I'm like, well, I have no social network. Nobody to to put this out there too. So that has been something. And this thing is of the utmost urgency because my aunt is afraid that people will forget her son. And I do not want them to forget. All right, well, you want to start where you stopped? Okay, there is no satisfaction to be gained in describing to you how David, his mother, Kitty Sully, myself, and our immediate family have been wrong. No child, in fact, no human, should have their whole life summarized as being a mere casualty in the evening news and nothing more. When I heard of Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, it was in this way. My aunt's life with David seemed a world away from those tragedies. When people speak of the American dream, to her that did not mean a nice house in a good neighborhood or wealth or status. It was David. He would be the promise of this country fulfilled in its truest form. July 2016. Vanessa tells me she'd been walking around downtown, spotting blank walls and calling the businesses that owned them. By her estimate, she'd talked to 40 people. Many politely said they'd call back. They never did. I decide to go out with her one day. I meet Vanessa and her friend Peter Belisario near the Capitol. Near 9th in Congress, Vanessa spots a light blue wall overlooking a parking lot. Something like that. Yeah. Like that. That's what we're looking for. We walk closer. Vanessa imagines David's face on the wall. I feel like he'd be in the middle somewhere. And maybe around him the things he liked. Like his dog? Yeah, like his dog, Sasha. Or his favorite rapper. Or his favorite food. What was his favorite food? He liked hot Cheetos. That, I know, <laughs> I know. That's awesome. Well, he was young, so he could eat hot Cheetos and then like essentially just burns it off because he's a child. I feel like I should ask who owns this yeah. and totally let's see if we can figure it out. We walk into the building. The man at the front desk tells us we should talk to someone on the sixth floor. We walk into an office. A man in a suit greets us. Vanessa starts describing her idea for a mural on the light blue wall outside. I commissioned an artist to paint a mural of uh-huh. my cousin who was killed on February eighth. Oh, sorry to hear by that. the police officer. Uh-huh. And we saw the blue. The man tells her politely to talk to the head of the local homeowners association. We get a name and leave. The rest of the afternoon is a lot like this confused faces, hard to contact building owners. After two hours and lots of sweat, we get back in the car. We blast the air conditioning. I feel like if I was a person of status walking into these places for this mural, then we could get it done in no time. What does that mean? 
if I pulled up in what's a, what's a fancy car? I don't even know cars. Um, a Porsche. If I pulled up in a Porsche, and I was all diamond out, and maybe I had a blazer of Howard's <laughs> and like an entourage, and I was like, I'm gonna paint on your wall. I'm not even ask. Just, <laughs> I'm gonna paint on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like yes yes ma'am and maybe if they were gonna say no at first one of my entourage members would be like she's gonna paint on your wall and then you're like oh, okay okay and then that'd be it this is just my fantasy this is a, it's a fantasy you can cut out <laughs> she doesn't know right now that a mural of david won't get done so i would like a promise from you For one to be righteous requires a commitment to righteousness. Make use of the resources that you already have available, the ones that were devised for this purpose, but have a lack of funding, assigned power or exposure to the public. October 2016. Vanessa begins pitching something else, police reform. She sits down with Margaret Moore, a former Travis County commissioner. In a month, Moore will be elected the new district attorney. Really think we should start with you telling us what it is that you want to talk about. We meet in city council member Greg Kassar's office. We sit at a round table. Vanessa talks about the grand jury process. Three months after David's death, a grand jury refused to indict Freeman. The proceedings are secretive. Only certain information is permitted by state law to be released to the public. It does have that stigma over it, that there is a lot of bias when it comes to it because it's such a secretive process. And I mean, it's not to change the process, but if there's a way to ensure that there's less questions when a decision is made. It's done the same way in Austin that it is done in every county in the state of Texas because it's governed by state law. Moore says if Vanessa really wants change, she should start with the police contract. It governs pay, discipline, and oversight. If she wants other change, like modifying how the grand jury process works, Vanessa would have to reach out to state lawmakers. I think there are many things that are well worth discussing, but I do think it comes down to legislative action for the kinds of change you're talking about. And as we know, the legislature of Texas does not exactly, is not exactly the city council of Austin. They talk for nearly an hour. Over the next few months, Vanessa keeps talking. She writes nearly 50 pages of proposed policy changes. She sits down with the office of the police monitor. She writes a letter to Hillary Clinton. She talks with staffers in Senator Kirk Watson's office. They tell her to talk to another senator, someone who works on criminal justice reform. They'd be better suited to handle her request, they say. Vanessa feels like she's getting the brush off, so she takes a break. Vanessa? Uh Uh-huh. December 2016. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. The city of Austin announces that former APD officer Jeffrey Freeman has agreed not to contest his firing. In exchange, the city pays Freeman $35,000. What's your reaction to the parts of of that deal? I would have rather him got no money, but I know it's not possible. This is just in my wildest dreams. Vanessa's a practical person, but now that becomes resignation. At this point, there's no mural, and her talking with politicians about police reform has gone nowhere. People keep asking me what I want for Christmas. It would be to talk to Officer Freeman. Really? Yeah. Do you think you'd be able to communicate what you want to say to him if you saw him? Yes, I'd be. It's something I've practiced over and over. I've written down so many times. 
what would you say? What might that sound like? There's so many things. It's like, are you able to sleep at night? Do you think about him as much as I do? As much as I know his mom does? I mean, does he realize like he was the last person to see David alive and he had only known him for that instant and like just how much that means? I know my voice is crying. I don't understand why a complete stranger was just able to share the last moments of David's life with him. I don't think he knows how, I mean, it sounds terrible, just how lucky he is. Because nobody got to see David past that point. I want to ask him if he said anything. If he looked like he was in pain. Did he realize that he made a mistake? Did he realize that he did something he could never take back? Was he sorry for it? also want to tell him to forgive himself because if it's this bad for me I can't imagine what it's like for him even if he is like the worst of the worst maybe I don't know I figure it's still gonna sting somewhere I reached out to former officer Freeman's lawyers. I left my number with a woman who started a GoFundMe page for him and his family. I sent him a note through the police union. I mailed a letter to his house. He did not respond to request to talk. We have all been hurt far greater by the aftermath. Life does not go on for us. The apathy and complacency surrounding us is our greatest burden. And as long as it continues, we cannot. April 2017. City council members hold a public hearing on the new contract between the city and the police union. Vanessa addresses a letter to council members, but last minute she decides she can't stand up in front of the audience at city hall and read it. A friend of council member Kassars agrees to read it for her. To the members of this council and all that are present, my name is Vanessa and I am the cousin of David Joseph. Last year, on February 8, 2016, my cousin David was shot to death. When she finishes, the people in council chambers clap, which, if you've ever watched a city council meeting, is unusual. Affected by such tragedy, or are simply you are simply concerned and willing to take on such an arduous task as this. I hope you will always remember that human life is the center of this struggle. There is always someone worth protecting. Fear of failure cannot overcome the need for action. I may have lost a family member, a friend, but I am still willing to face each morning despite every inclination not to. I hope you will approach your deliberations here today with the same determination. Thank you for allowing me the chance to be heard. Sincerely, Vanessa Vissereth. P.S. The story's not done. December 2017. I go to Vanessa's house one last time. His death still affects me the same way it did when it initially happened. Any loud sound sounds like a gunshot. Any African-American youth looks like David. Any adult african-american looks like what david could have looked like if he was not stripped of the opportunity to grow up 
I asked the question I've been nervous to ask. Are you afraid that David will be forgotten? I believe he's already been forgotten. That's why it's so hard doing the last part of this, because it feels like the end. You don't want this to be the last conversation. No, I want there to be so many conversations about David. I don't want it to be just out of convenience when somebody's trying to prove a point or when they're on the losing end of an argument and they're like, police won't reform. What about David Joseph? In the last year, I've heard David's name brought up at rallies, political events, and during the recent discussion over the new police contract. Last week, the city council rejected that contract. It's the first time they've ever done so. More than 200 people testified, including David's brother. One woman who spoke wore a shirt with David's face on it. Above it read, Remember David Joseph. Six months after David died, Vanessa got her first cell phone. She still doesn't have Facebook or Instagram or go out much, but she says talking about David with strangers, however uncomfortable it is, helps. I feel like I got to say all of the things David couldn't. It's not like we can give him his voice back. But we can speak for him because he can't anymore. Because watching that dash cam video, he said nothing. Even when he died, there wasn't a sound from him. All you could hear was Officer Freeman. Yeah, I wanted to give his voice back to him. As we talk, wind chimes on Vanessa's back porch keep sounding. When we finish, I put my recorder to the window to grab noise of the wind chimes. Nothing. For minutes. We can even hear the wind blowing. Oh, wow. That is so weird. What? They've been chiming this whole I know. time. I pull back the blinds to get my recorder closer to the window. My mom and all the Haitians... When things ha- when weird things like that happen, they're like, oh, it's David. That's just, I don't know, that's just how they are. Because when you want to hear it the most, it stops. They'd be like, it's because David doesn't want you to hear it. That story from KUT's Audrey McGlinchey. How people get mental health care is being reimagined in Austin. The effort is being led by the new Dell Medical School and a bunch of mental health providers in the city. As KUT's Ashley Lopez reports, these changes are tackling who gets what kind of care and who's going to give it to them. A good example of what this redesign looks like is this bipolar disorder clinic. It's run by Dell Medical School and Integral Care. That's Travis County's mental health agency. The clinic's director, Dr. George Almeida, says this clinic is all about the patients. In fact, we almost ran into one on the tour he was giving me, but we ducked into a small room. No, we just one uh, patient that was just leaving just to wait for 
Okay. Privacy is a big deal around here. In fact, Almeida says you won't even see patients sitting outside in a waiting room. That's because there is no waiting room. They meet the concierge staff at the front desk, and the, front, the concierge brings them to their care room, where they will be uh, for the entire time of their visit with us. Almeida slides open a large door to reveal what looks like a living room in an apartment. There's a couch, some chairs, a TV. Almeida says the patient will spend their entire visit in this room, and all the medical staff they need will come to them. And the design is very unique, that we have two doors, one for the patient to enter and the other one for the providers to enter. There are about 10 of these rooms in the clinic. Almeida shows me a large hallway where all you see are these big yellow sliding doors and nothing else. Half of the staff at this clinic is hired by Dell Medical School. The other half is hired by Integral Care. Robert Dominguez with Integral Care says this is good for them because they now have a space to try new things. You know, this really allows us this opportunity to um, meld together the practical side of, you know, providing services, which Integral Care has been doing for the past 50 years in the UT Medical School, who is really um, pr- uh, allowing us to be a part of this innovative care. Having researchers, students, and care providers working side by side has mutual benefit, says Kathleen Casey, also with Integral Care. It typically takes uh, over well over a decade to translate uh, experimental research findings, you know, sort of uh, best practices um, that are discovered through science. It takes about 10 years or more to translate that into actual community practice. Casey says with this partnership, that process is accelerated. And for DelMed, this is a win, too. They get to send their medical students to work in real-world settings at integral care clinics around the city. And this is all part of a larger effort to redesign mental health care in Austin and even in Texas. Steve Strakowski is the chair of psychiatry at Dell Medical School. He says one of those changes Austinites will start noticing is that mental health care won't just be in hospitals. And that's been part of the problem we've had when you have a hospital-centric high illness, you know, very sick person as your primary focus. You end up treating everybody like they're the same thing, and it just costs more, and it also fails to provide the care you need at different levels of care. Strakowski says the goal is to meet people where they are and provide them care at the level they need. He says most patients just need prescription refills and a quick check-in, and you don't always need a doctor for that. Strakowski says they'll need to train more people to do this work. There's often an idea, well, we just need to try to get all medical students basically going to psychiatry, but that's obviously never going to happen. And so we have to use um, the best, best approaches we can to expand our workforce and then use the workforce as effectively as possible. He says that means getting social workers, nurses, and other folks to pitch in. And that's something Delmet is working on, too. All of these changes are going to be revisited and perfected and replicated in the coming years. And eventually, Strakowski says, some of those changes will be part of the redesign of the Austin State Hospital. More importantly, he says, this is all an opportunity for Texas. You know, typically mental health care delivery has been better in the coasts and the northeast. And it'd be nice for Texas to kind of change that pattern and step up and be a leader. And that's our goal. Ashley Lopez, KUT News. Referio High School played for the state high school championship this week. 
As KUT's Jimmy Moss reports, the team's run through the state playoffs was a welcome distraction from the mess that Hurricane Harvey left at home four months ago. Refurio head football coach Jason Herring spent all summer planning for this week. He had no idea how far he would have to veer off that plan to get to this point. A hurricane would wipe out almost any football team in the world, but our kids have been hit in the mouth since they were that little by life. So the hurricane was just another bump in the road. Does that make sense? Our kids are so resilient because they've had to be their whole life. After months of storm cleanup, a life-changing injury to one of his players, and helping to raise tens of thousands of dollars for refurio relief, his team was on the precipice of a second straight state championship. And for one more time, the 13th out of 15 games this season, the team, the band, the town would load up buses and head out on the road. This time to AT&T Stadium in Arlington, a venue that could hold the population of Refurio 35 times over. Historically, Refurio has made a habit of winning, and even though the team would be playing in its third state championship game in a row, this one would be different. High school principal Brandon Duncan. To win a state championship this year after, you know, we had kids sleeping in, in the field house. We had uh, damage to our school. We had uh, we couldn't play any home games. All of our home games were out of town except for two. Uh, I think it would mean a great deal more this year uh, just given the hurdles that have been placed in front of these kids, you know, and the coaches and the staff and the town. Championship week for Duncan begins at the First Baptist Church of Refurio. Coach Herring's wife, Lisa, leads the music for the service. Since August, churchgoers have been meeting at the elementary school because of storm damage. Reverend T. Wayne Price says his church is still waiting to clear up some things before renovations begin next month. School superintendent, Melissa Gonzalez, was also attending. She pointed to repairs just outside the school as progress toward the town getting past Harvey, but there are still a number of roadblocks to fully repairing and renovating the schools. There are a number of agencies that, that we're dealing with, and I think that sometimes slows the wheels down. Uh, but, uh, and just keeping it straight in your mind is a challenge, but, uh, but uh, you know, it's a blessing that that many people are wanting to help us, and, and I just have to keep that at the forefront of my mind and, and just keep the ultimate end goal in sight, and that's to rebuild our school. And standing in the back of the room, and I said standing, injured player Casey Henderson catches the preacher's attention. And Casey is walking in September, in the second game of the season, Henderson broke two vertebrae in his neck. He couldn't feel or move his lower extremities. After rehabbing at University Hospital in San Antonio for two months, he's walking and talking about the future. He hopes somehow it includes football. He also knows how fortunate he is. feels pretty good to know that not many people aren't supposed to be walking from my injury, and I'm one of those that are walking away from my injury. All of the Hendersons gathered in their newly rebuilt home, once deemed unlivable, after the storm tore it apart. His mother, Nicole Henderson, is thankful. Casey's walking. We have our family together. Um, we have this gorgeous house, thanks to Coach Heron and Brian Miller. Um, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm happy we're all together. I'm just... There's really no words to describe it. I'm just in awe, I guess. Casey's dad, Charlie. For one, just to be back home and, you know, back in our house and 
got all my family back together and we're not you know it's, it's hard in case he's not halfway across the state you know so i'm feeling good i'm feeling real real blessed you know just thank the lord that he really helped us get back together and everything but it's not all good news for the hendersons nicole was let go from her nursing job she says now that casey is home with physical or occupational therapy visits five days a week she says taking care of casey is now her job and casey still misses being out on the field with his teammates you know, scoring touchdowns, being out there with my team every Friday, practicing with them, all of that. One person not in church, Coach Jason Herring. To say he's been busy with work would be an understatement. He is the type, as many coaches are, to throw himself into the sport. Let me give you a perfect example. You ready? This is going. This is terrible. I'm ashamed to say this. The 15th was our 28th anniversary. Completely, un, I mean, nothing more than hi, baby, happy anniversary. That's it. I mean, I was here at 6.30, and I got home at 9. He and his staff were deep in preparation for the last game of the season, the state championship Wednesday night against the Mart Panthers. The game started as most Bobcat games go. Two quick touchdowns put Refurio up 14 to nothing in three minutes. But then, Mart found its bearings and took control of the game. As time ticked down on a rare defeat, the people of Referia looked forward to what's next. You know, we made it to the state, and I'm proud of those boys. I really, really am. Uh, they really shouldn't be here. With all they've gone through with a hurricane and, and being homeless and stuff, I'm very, very proud of them. Very proud. Referia County Sheriff Pinky Gonzalez. Uh, after this game, we're, I'm sure a lot of them will be uh, uh, working and concentrating on, on getting people back in their homes and... and uh, uh, trying to get on with their lives. Including yours? Including myself. <laughs> That's it. Gonzalez's wife, Melissa, is the school superintendent. They've been living in an RV behind their storm-damaged home all fall. She says roughly 13% of all of Refurio's students are still technically homeless. All of the public housing in Refurio is closed indefinitely. Most of those residents have had to commute from the town of Beeville, about a half hour away. As for the team's unofficial chaplain, T. Wayne Price and the First Baptist Church. Uh, we've got the meeting set for January 3rd with everyone, architect, contractor, our leadership team. So we look forward to uh, really getting started and possibly four or five months being back in the building. That's our hope. The end of the season also means Coach Jason Herring can tend to his own house. Here's his wife, Lisa. Our house still has a lot to, to be done to it after the hurricane, but and then hopefully he can settle down a little bit and, and just uh, relax. I know he's been working really hard, you know, through football season, of course, but also through, through the aftermath of Harvey. So, so hopefully we can get some R&R. The Herrings, much like the rest of Refurio, are ready to let Harvey go. That's, that's for sure. That's the truth, yes. Ready for it to be over. But it's been a beautiful season, and we're, we're proud. 
Jason Herring finds Lisa in the crowd. On TV. I thought y'all had it when you came out. I know, we came out. I think that bit us in the butt because we came out so on fire. And then you were just flat out. And then we were flat the rest of the time. Then their 10 year old son gets their attention. Oh, you gotta go pee. And just like that, the biggest loss of the football season seems to wash away for now. They know in the end, it's just football. But for this small Texas town, the game has been so much more this season. Principal Brandon Duncan. You know, the longer your, your football team goes, the less discipline. You know, you have better attendance. You know, kids keeping their grades, the town. I mean, it, it's there's a lot of things that play into football besides, you know, just wins. Superintendent Melissa Gonzalez. It's the one constant we've had in our lives this year. Uh, everything else seems to be in turmoil, but uh, football is, uh, is still there and, and still keeping us, us going. Coach Jason Herring. Football has not only been medicine for this community and these kids, but it's been medicine for me. When it's over, it's like, it's, I mean, it's like almost like depression sets in, good or bad. But I'm always sad when football ends. But like so many other Refurians, he'll have some projects at home to keep him busy. Jimmy Moss, KUT News. weekend for the fourth weekend of December 2017. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast at weekend.kut.org. You can email me, Nathan, at kut.org. Or ask me on Twitter. I'm at KUTNathan. Our theme music is by RAC. Have a great day and happy holidays. I'm Nathan Bernier with KUT 90.5 and KUT.org. Thank you.